Hello there. My name is Victor, and you're listening to the USC Christian Challenge podcast. Those of us who follow Christ can tend to fall into a trap of just doing things out of our own power. I mean, I know I have. But in doing so, we can miss the fact that Jesus' first purpose for anyone who has decided to walk with him is to simply be with him. So today, Jeremy closes out our series with one of Jesus' final I am statements. I am the true vine. So grab your notebooks and let's have a listen. Our junior years of all-nighters and energy drinks. And uh, it started earlier in the fall of our, uh, that junior year because we stayed up really late um, or procrastinated on getting study, studying for an exam. I think it was like a finance exam or something like that. We we're both business majors. And so we ended up pulling an all-nighter and drinking energy drinks to keep us awake to study for this test. Now, if we had flunked that test, we would have learned our lesson and moved on. But unfortunately, we did really well. <laughs> and, uh, and, that, and that got us on a path of just all sorts of destruction. And so we ended up procrastinating on a regular basis and just pulling on nighters and just drinking energy drinks even when we didn't need to pull on nighters. Um, and honestly, we got to point, I think we were doing about an all-nighter a week, like at least, and just... And it, it finally, you know, dawned on us that this is a bad idea when Nathan, one day on our way to an exam, passed out in the hallway from pure exhaustion, and I had to take him to the hospital. And then I later, that Christmas break, got shingles in my back, and we finally realized this is probably not a good idea. Um, and we learned the unfortunate lesson that not only are all-nighters dumb, but our bodies were not meant to function primarily on the fuel of energy drinks. We actually needed sleep. You know, but we were dumb and we learned our lesson. So the moral of the story is don't be like me. Um, So now that I have your trust, I want to talk about our message tonight, which is concluding a seven part series that we've been doing in challenge throughout the semester on the I am statements that Jesus made about himself and the implications of those I am statements for our own lives. And so, so far we've talked about, as you see on the screen, all sorts of different I am statements that Jesus made about himself. He said things like, I am the light of the world. And before Abraham was, I am. And I'm the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And as we talked about last week, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so tonight I wanted to talk about one more I am statement that Jesus said about himself. And he said it in his final meal with his disciples, uh, his 12 closest disciples, the night before he was about to go to the cross, and die on the cross for us since he mentions this last final I am statement. And it's recorded in John 15. And it starts off with him saying, I am the true vine. Now, a little backdrop uh, on this as to why Jesus calls himself the true vine and not just a vine, in case you were wondering. But because his disciples that were listening, you know, they, they were good Jewish men. They knew their Old Testament or what we call the Old Testament. And so they knew that the nation of Israel actually had been referred to as a vineyard that God had planted in places like Psalm 80 and Isaiah 5. And this is a vineyard that God had planted, albeit it was a vineyard that wasn't producing the fruit that they were intended to produce. And so when Jesus calls himself the true vine, he's making a contrast between himself and the nation of Israel. And the point being this, that the path to God doesn't go through the nation of Israel. The path of God goes through Jesus. And so you and I don't need to become citizens of Israel and observe all the Jewish customs in order to be made right with God. Instead, we need to become disciples of Jesus. And so knowing that background, 
I want to read the whole passage that Jesus talks about here, about being the vine. And then, and then I want to actually hear some feedback from you guys. So, so pay attention as I read this, because I, I want to ask you a question on this afterwards. So it's John 15, 1 through 11, and it's here on the screen. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it will bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them, they cast them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Now, there's a lot of stuff in this passage, but one good, you know, practical Bible study technique um, that you can do as you're looking at a passage to figure out kind of what's the, the main idea or what's at least something really important is you begin to look at what is repeated. And so let me ask you a question. As you, as you look at that passage up on the screen and, and you heard me read it, what are some words or phrases that you see repeated in this passage? Go ahead and just you know, sh- shout them out. What's that? Someone, sorry. You said abide? Yeah, what else? Bear? Bear fruit? Yeah, yeah. Any of the ones you guys see? Branch? Yeah, that's mentioned multiple times. Love? Fruit? Yeah, all those. What'd you say? Me? me? Yeah, it's all about me. Um, that being Jesus, by the way, not me. Um, yeah, you're right. All those things are, are key things to this passage, and we're going to talk about a lot of those tonight. But before we do, I want to answer a bigger question as we start off tonight, which is this. What is Jesus trying to communicate by using the analogy of the vine and the branches? Because I think what Jesus communicated with this analogy is that he is more than just the door, although he is the door. He's more than just the door to life or a giver of life, but he's actually... In fact, the one who grows our life and sustains our life even after we step into the kingdom of God. Now, stay with me a bit because I think if you'll think a little bit more about this analogy, you'll get some real insight into the life of a Christian. And the more I thought about it, the more I was amazed. I was like, wow, this is is an amazing analogy that Jesus used to explain some significant things about the Christian life. See, if Jesus had used a parent and child analogy in this situation— You know, we would rightly conclude that the longer you are a Christian and the more you grow, the more independent you become of your need of God's grace and power in your life, right? Because isn't that the reality of the relationship between parents and children? I mean, little kids, they're way more dependent upon their parents than adult kids, at least healthy adult kids, which that may be a message for another time. Um, But what Jesus wanted us to understand is using, using this vine and branch analogy is that the longer you're a Christian, And the more you grow, the more dependent you actually become on the grace and power of God in your life. See, a mature Christian not only realizes their need for God more and therefore learns to operate more out of his power, 
and out of his grace than a new Christian who's still kind of trying to figure it out in his own power oftentimes. But a mature Christian also needs more of God's grace and power in their life to sustain the life and grow that they have more than a brand new Christian. Just like a mature Christian, a mature branch needs more nutrients from the vine to sustain being a big mature branch than an itty bitty little new branch does to sustain its life. Both need to be connected to the vine and grow to bear fruit. I think Jesus wanted to make that point clear. But I also think that Jesus wanted to communicate through this analogy that a Christian doesn't start their life in Jesus and then steadily grow more independent of their need for him. Nor does a Christian live independent of Jesus and only sort of check in with Jesus from time to time like he's a divine you know, gas station. You know, I'm getting a little empty, I'm going to fill up on Jesus, and then I'm going to go about my week and drive, and then when I get a little empty again, I'm going to fill up on Jesus again. But instead, what he's pointing out here is a Christian's new life starts in Jesus and only grows as they stay connected to him and grow more dependent upon him. Let me say that again. A Christian's new life starts in Jesus and only grows as they stay connected to him and grows more dependent upon him. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Colossians 2, 6 through 7. He says, so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, the only way that this is going to happen, the only way that we're going to stay rooted and built up in Christ and grow more dependent upon him rather than independent of him, is what Jesus says there in John 15, 4, when he says, abide in me. Now, that word abide is actually mentioned 10 times throughout this passage. So it's a pretty important word according to Jesus in this passage. And not only that, but the only command in this long passage that we read, the only command in that whole passage is found there in verse 4 where it says, abide in me. And then it's reiterated in another part in verse 9 where the command is given, abide in my love. Now, we don't use that word abide very often in our, you know, just normal everyday language today, although we ought to. It's a pretty cool word. You know, we ought to, let's bring it back. Um, but, but that word abide, what that really means is it means to stay connected to, to stay in. And so when Jesus is telling those of us that are disciples of his, that have been united with him, what he's saying is, I want you to abide in me. I want you to remain connected to me, to get your life from me, and to live your life out of a connection with me. And so for the remainder of our time tonight, I want to look at and answer three questions as it relates to abiding. First, what are the results of abiding, according to this passage? And the second, what are the results of not abiding in Christ? And the third, how do we abide in Christ? So first, what are the results of abiding in Christ? Well, according to this passage, there's really only one result of abiding in Christ, and that's that you bear much fruit. You see this in verse 5 where it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. But what kind of fruit are we talking about here? Because you know, as you look throughout the Bible and the New Testament, there's all sorts of kinds of fruit that come out of the life of someone who has decided to follow Jesus. For instance, in Galatians 5, through 23, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control. Or there's the fruit of making new disciples that Jesus talks about that comes from someone who's decided to follow what Jesus commanded in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Both of these could fall under the umbrella of what Jesus is talking about here when he says, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. But in this particular passage, Jesus mentions three specific kinds of fruit that come from abiding in him. And so I want to look at those. The first is the fruit of answered prayer. The fruit of answered prayer. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. Now, this is one of those verses, honestly, and I've thought this before too, and I'm sure you have too. When you read it, it's a little hard to believe. Partly because it seems a little too good to be true, partly because we just don't really fully understand what he's talking about. Now, to be clear, Jesus isn't offering a blank check like a genie in the bottle of like, yeah, ask whatever you wish, and you've got it, you know, and this isn't one of those name it and claim it kind of verses. Before we can ask for whatever we want and it be done for us, we have to first be abiding in him and his words abiding in us. You see, when we're abiding in God and we're abiding in Jesus and his words are abiding in us, our perspective begins to change. We begin to change and our values begin to change. We begin to see things more through the lens of how God sees it. And we begin to value more of the things that God values. And we begin to want done in the world more what God wants done in the world. And so consequently, what we end up asking God for are the very things that he wants to give us and the very things he wants to do in the world, which he is more than willing to give because he loves us. See, God is not a poor God, and he's not a cheap God, and he's not a selfish God. He loves to give good gifts to his children, and he loves to say yes, but he only says yes if it'll bless. He loves to say yes, but he only says yes if it'll bless. And one of the best movies ever made, The Princess Bride, which if you've never seen that movie, you're welcome and shame on you. Um, But in this movie, there is a scene where Princess Buttercup, yes, her name is Princess Buttercup, keeps asking this farm boy, Wesley, to do various tasks for her. And Wesley, you know, he's a man of few words, but whenever Buttercup would ask him to do something, his reply would always be the same. He would stop, and with those deep blue eyes, he would look over at her, and he'd say, as you wish. And what Buttercup began to realize over time was whenever Wesley would say, as you wish, what he really meant was, I love you. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, as you wish, as you wish. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. So the fruit of answered prayer is the first fruit we see in this passage. The second is the fruit of obedient love. The fruit of obedient love. John 15, 9 through 10 says, Just as a father has loved me and I have loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and abide in his love. So you see the father, he's loving Jesus with this unconditional, never-ending love. And then Jesus, with that same unconditional, never-ending love, turns around to us and says, I love you. And then he says, so in response to that, abide in me, remain in me, stay in my love. And the way that we abide in Jesus is we remain in his love. But the way we demonstrate our love is through obedience. Now, to be clear, Jesus isn't saying here, if you want me to love you, you have to obey me. 
No, that's not what he's saying at all. Because Jesus loves us purely because he chooses to love us. It has nothing to do with our actions. But he is saying, if you love me, you will demonstrate it through obedience. See, obedience doesn't earn love, but obedience is the evidence of our love. Obedience doesn't earn love, but obedience is the evidence of our love. Just like when I promised Katie on our wedding day and I told her, I love you. And one of the ways I'm going to demonstrate that is I'm going to be faithful to you. Now, I don't need to be faithful to her to earn her love. You know, she gives that freely to me. But if I run around being unfaithful to her, but then I tell her, hey, but don't worry. I love you. I love you. I love you. Like, am I really loving her? No. But see, as we talked about earlier, when we abide in Christ, Christ changes us. He changes our perspective. He changes what we see as important in the world and what we don't see as important. And as we abide in him and we let his words abide in us and we treasure them, obedience becomes a natural byproduct. Obedient love becomes a natural byproduct and a fruit of abiding. So we have the first fruit of answered prayer and the fruit of obedient love. And then the third fruit Jesus mentions in this passage is the fruit of unfading joy. The fruit of unfading joy. Jesus said in John 15, 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Now, have you ever thought about this? The fact that Jesus is actually the most joyful being in the universe? I mean, we think about a lot of attributes of Jesus, but have you ever thought the fact that he is actually the most joyful being in the whole universe? And in fact, not only is he the most joyful being, but he actually is the creator of joy and the source of it. So when we're abiding in him and he's abiding in us, part of the fruit that comes from that is unfading joy in our lives. And the reason it's a fruit of abiding is you can't manufacture joy. It's a result of getting to know and follow Jesus. So if someone is finding joy in Jesus, then he or she is a disciple of Jesus. And one of the reasons Jesus talks about the joy right after he describes the fruit of obedient love is because joy is connected to obedience. You know, our options aren't to miserably obey or to have freedom and joy over here. You know, that is a lie that goes back all the way to the Garden of Eden when Satan was, you know, tempting Adam and Eve and trying to get them to buy into that. Joy actually comes through obedience. Joy comes through obedience. Now, this doesn't mean every day is going to be filled with laughter and be problem-free, but it does mean that regardless of what's going on in our lives, ultimately our lives will be characterized by a pervasive sense of well-being, which is what joy is. Joy is a pervasive sense of well-being. Joy is not a transaction made by Jesus, but joy is found in a relationship with Jesus. Now, before we move on to the results of not abide, I want to point out a couple of results we see from bearing fruit. And one is that we're going to be pruned. We're going to be pruned. John 15, 1 through 2 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Now, if you're thinking, wow, being pruned sounds kind of painful, you're kind of right. You know, because it usually is. Usually pruning comes in the form of trials that God puts us through. But it's important to know that these trials that God puts us through, this pruning process, is not punishment, but it's actually a reward for a Christian. Just like when a plant is pruned to allow uninhibited growth so that it bears fruit, God prunes us so that we can grow 
and bear fruit. God puts us through trials and he prunes the parts of us that are stealing nutrients but aren't really bearing fruit. And he does this because he loves us. And so it's important to understand that it's very possible that the difficulty you're going through right now may well be an act of God's kindness, not an act of punishment, because he loves you and he's shaping you into something more than you are right now. The second result of bearing fruit is we will glorify God and prove to be Jesus' disciples. We'll glorify God and prove to be Jesus' disciples. John 15, 8 says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to me by my disciples. Now, the audience of glorifying God and proving to be his disciples is not primarily God. You know, God already knows who he is, and he knows if you're a disciple of his, you don't have to prove that to him. But the primary audience is the onlooking world. Because, see, if you are claiming to be a Christian, they're watching you. And if you truly abide in Jesus, you will bear fruit, and that fruit will shine a light on how amazing God is, because people will know that fruit did not come from you. There's no way you produce that fruit by yourself. And you'll prove to the all-Lincoln world that you truly are a disciple of Jesus because you bear his fruit. See, a connected branch always bears the kind of fruit of the tree that it's connected to. We don't produce the fruit. Jesus produces the fruit. But our job is to abide in him, and if we do, he will produce that fruit, and we will bear that fruit. So what are the results of not abiding in Christ? Well, Jesus mentions two, two different results. The first result, kind of an obvious one, we don't bear fruit. In fact, Jesus goes as far as to say, not only do we not bear fruit, but apart from him, we can do nothing. If you look at John 15, 4 and 5 again, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, all that good fruit that we looked at earlier is not available to us if we're not abiding in Jesus, because that fruit comes from Jesus. And not only that, but apart from his grace and his power working in our lives, we literally cannot do anything. Now, you look at this, and it kind of seems like maybe Jesus is being a little extreme or hyperbolic to kind of prove a point here, but he's actually not. You know, the very things that we do and the very things that we say and go about our lives, like, only happen because of the grace and power of God working in our lives that even allow us to function. And the very breath you and I breathe is only possible because God allows it. See, God does give kind of a common grace to all of humanity, whether followers of him or they're not, to exist and to function in this world. But if we don't abide in him, we also miss out on a special grace that he has for his followers that's going to produce the fruit of him in our lives. And the second result of not abiding, and honestly, kind of a scary imagery, but, you know, Jesus said this, not me. He says that we're going to be thrown away and we dry up and we're cast into the fire and burned you know, Jesus says in John 15, 6, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away. And when we look back at verse 2, we know that probably the person doing the throwing away is actually the father, not some religious leader that kicks you out of something. It says, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they're burned. Now, in case you're wondering, does this passage teach that you can lose your salvation? I don't think so. 
You know, I think when you look at the teachings of Jesus and you look at the writings of the New Testament, it's pretty clear that if you step into the kingdom of God and are a child of God, your salvation is secure. That, you, you're not going to lose that. And as I read various commentaries on this passage, actually from people a lot smarter than me, a lot of these commentators, you know, had opinions back and forth on whether Jesus was even talking about the final judgment in this passage um, of, you know, being in the final judgment of hell or not. Not that that's not going to happen, but just whether this passage actually pertains to that. But one thing all the commentators agreed on is that Jesus was talking about judgment. Now, I don't know about you, but whether it's final judgment or any kind of judgment, I'd rather avoid that, you know? So if you think you are a Christian, but over time you don't see the fruit of God coming to bear in your life, I'd encourage you to take some time to think about, maybe even get with a mentor or a close friend and think about and ask yourself the question, have you mistaken religious activity with actually becoming a follower of Jesus by grace through faith? Because that happens all the time. People do things that Christians do and they do religious activities thinking that makes them a Christian, but those are things Christians do, but that doesn't make someone a Christian. If you've never decided to accept the free gift of forgiveness that Jesus offers and accept him not only as your Savior, but as your Lord, the Bible says you actually have not yet stepped into the kingdom. But if you have done that, but you're not seeing fruit, then I'd encourage you to also take time to actually think, are you actually abiding in Jesus? Are you staying connected to him? Which brings us to our last question of the night, which is how? How do we abide in Christ? Well, to get practical, I want to share with you three questions that if I had my Bible, I'd show you in the back. Three questions I have written in the back of my Bible that I kind of regularly refer back to to help kind of evaluate for myself. Am I actually abiding in Christ or am I not? Now, these three questions, I don't claim to be everything that is involved in the process of abiding, but it'll definitely get you moving in that direction. And the first is this question. Am I spending time with Jesus? Am I spending time with Jesus? You know, Mark 3.14, it says about Jesus, it says, He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach. See, before Jesus ever called his followers to go out onto a mission and to accomplish something for him, he called them to be with him, to spend time with him and to learn from him, because only then would they be equipped to do what he would call them later on to do. And among other things, I think what this includes is regular time, getting time in God's word, getting to be with him and to learn from him and to talk to him through prayer. And so for me, the timing of this and the longevity of it and where I'm reading, all that stuff, that's changed over the years. But one of the things that's always been kind of common in this time with Jesus that I have is I spend time reading the Bible, spend time in the scriptures, and usually have something to write thoughts or questions or things down on, whether that be a journal or just the margins of my Bible. Now, there's not an exact amount of time or regularity you have to do to this. You know, no one's keeping track. But the reality is, just like anything else, the more time you spend doing it, and the more often you do it, the more often you're probably going to get to know God, the more regularly abide in Him. You know, I had gotten to the point a couple years back where I was, you know, doing this about five times a week and was kind of staying steady there and thinking, yeah, that's, this is great. It's pretty good. But then it occurred to me all of a sudden, there's 52 weeks in a year. So at two days a week, 
I'm missing 104 opportunities annually to spend time with Jesus. And for me, I just thought, man, well, I don't want to miss those. Like, not out of legalism, but mostly just out of desire and desperation, I thought, well, I want to buy those up too. Now, it's not always every single day, all the time, but as often as I can, I try to spend some time each day with Jesus, getting to know him in the scriptures. So that first question is, am I spending time with Jesus? And then a second question to evaluate how you're doing at abiding is ask yourself, am I practicing his presence? Am I practicing his presence? You know, it's great to have scheduled alone time with Jesus, but the reality is most of our life is not going to be lived in private moments alone with God. So then does that mean the majority of your life you're not going to be abiding in Jesus? No, I don't think so. See, we can take God with us, so to speak, sort of wherever we go because God is always with us. And as we recognize that and acknowledge and enjoy his presence, we can do that wherever we are. There was a 17th century Carmelite monk named Brother Lawrence who wrote a book entitled Practicing the Presence of God, where he talked about how he discovered he could have unbroken fellowship with God by simply practicing his presence throughout the day, whether he was doing things like worshiping in the chapel or doing what he did most often with most of his time, which was wash dishes in the monastery. Well, before I'd ever even heard of Brother Lawrence, I sort of had my own dishwashing experience when I was in college. As I've told before to some of you guys in messages and other things, you know, I worked in a cafeteria um, at my university for three years of my college doing a work-study program, and I was there about 20 hours a week. And one of my main jobs was to be back in the kitchen scraping food off of dishes and cleaning them. And if you've ever done dishes, you know it's, it's pretty mindless work. You know, you're not engaging in a lot of stuff that way. But not only that, but we had these incredibly loud, like commercial-grade machines back in the kitchen that once we scraped all the food off, we'd load them in this dishwasher and then it would send it through this whole assembly line of just cleaning them and stuff. So it was so loud, I couldn't even like talk to my coworkers back there. And there wasn't any TV back there and I definitely didn't have class notes back there. So what was I to do with all this time of washing dishes mindlessly? Well, after I had daydreamed enough, I finally began to pray and to talk to God about things. And I, I talked to him about all sorts of things. Talked to him about what was going on in my day. Talked to him about, you know, what I was thinking about Katie at the time. What do you think, guy? You know, I like her. Should I marry um, I, I, I reflect on verses that I memorized. I talked to him about that. Talked to him about how much I didn't like my job, but I was thankful for it. I mean, all sorts of things, you know, I talked to him about. And that really got me started into this habit of really practicing his presence. And what I began to realize is that if I could practice his presence there, I could practice his presence all over the place. I didn't have to end the conversation that I had started with God that morning in my quiet time. I could continue it throughout the day. And so this habit of practicing his presence, I later found would help in the third area of abiding, which can be summed up in this evaluative question. Am I living out of his power? Am I living out of his power? See, when we don't practice God's presence, we can easily forget he's even there. And we can easily forget that he's even aware of what's going on in our lives. And so consequently, we oftentimes end up operating out of our own power rather than realizing he's there to help and guide us. And we can operate out of his power. But if we practice his presence, we can invite God into whatever it is that we're doing, whether it's class-related or job-related or relationship-related. See, the way I figure it is if Jesus is all-powerful and never gets tired, it's a good idea to ask for his help and strength to persevere. 
And if Jesus is all-knowing, then there's no better study buddy than Jesus himself. You know, there are many times in my business undergrad that I would come up against something that I was having a tough time understanding, and I'd just pray something along the lines of like, God, I don't understand this. And you created all the matter and principles and things that even allow the subject to even exist. So you know this material. You're an expert at it. Would you help me to understand it? And then I'd study, and he would. And then I started to realize, wait a minute. I could ask for God's insight into other things, too. You know, not just class-related. And not even just girlfriend-related, as those, those are the two biggest subjects, you know. Um, but I could talk to God about all sorts of things. You know, he actually happens to be an expert on every single field. Did you know he's an expert on architecture? And an expert on, actually, nobody cares about science. No, I know. No, he's an expert on all sorts of things, you know. Even computer gaming. He's an expert on all of it. And we actually can, we'd be wise to ask for his help in the various areas that we're doing because he's an expert. Why wouldn't you? Yet for whatever reason, and maybe you can relate to this, it was not always intuitive or automatic to ask for his help. Sometimes it was a combination of forgetfulness. Other times it was pride. Oftentimes it was probably a combination of the two. But I would forget to actually ask for God's help. You know, I would be struggling with something. I'd be working hard at something. I had to get frustrated with something that wasn't working, all the while forgetting to actually ask for God's help. And what I found is that although Jesus is incredibly willing to help me, he often will wait until I ask. It's kind of like when my kids were learning to put on their shoes. You know, I wanted to help them. And when I'd see them struggling, but often I would wait to help them until they asked for my help. Now, occasionally I would just step down and help them put on their shoes. But I wanted them to learn to ask, and I wanted them to have the freedom to struggle with their shoes and try to figure it out. But I also wanted them to learn their limits and to recognize their need for help. And I would tell them, I tell my two oldest, my youngest is not even putting on shoes yet at this point, so that's fine. But I tell my two older ones, hey, you know, it's not a sign of immaturity to ask for help. It's actually a sign of maturity to recognize your limits and to know when you need to ask for help. And I didn't do this because I was on some kind of power trip. I did it because I want my kids to grow up to not assume help will be there even though they don't ask and to be too prideful to ask for help. And while I have it on good authority that God's smarter than me, you may already knew that, you know, he's smarter than me. And so I imagine he's doing the same thing with us. He's wanting to help us, willing and ready and capable to help us, but he wants his kids to learn to ask. If we want to operate out of his power, we have to ask. As Jesus said in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. But we have to ask. And so in summary, Jesus is the vine. He's the true vine. And as followers of him, we are the branches. And if we abide in him and he abides in us, we will bear much fruit. But apart from him, we can do nothing. So my encouragement for you tonight is abide. Abide. Let's pray and wake up and welcome up the band here. Jesus, thank you so much that you don't just give us a how-to guide or give us resources, but you actually give us yourself, like John talked about last week. And God, I pray that we would not just treat you like a divine gas station and 
fill up with you when we're feeling empty and then try to go about our day the rest of the week. But God, I pray that we would abide in you daily, hour by hour, that we would learn to remain in you and to live in you. And that we wouldn't be trying to squeeze out fruit as if we have anything to do with producing it, God, but we know only you produce that. But it will not happen if we don't abide. And so, God, help us to trust you, help us to abide, and help us to encourage one another to do that too, so that the world may know that we're your disciples, that you can get glory through that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the USC Christian Challenge podcast. You can find us on your favorite podcast platforms such as Spotify and Apple Music, even Amazon Music if you're so inclined that way. And you can also leave us a review so we can help get these resources into the hands of other people. We recorded this episode on a Thursday night gathering at the University of Southern California, and we'd love for you to join us if you're around the area. So get involved and find out more at USC Challenge on Instagram and on our website, uscchristianchallenge.com.